Exploring issues around feminism and celebrating International Women's Day. I'm Amy Redmond, Artistic Director of POW, and my pronouns are she, her. So this evening, gender is on the agenda. We are here to discuss my actual favourite thing in the whole wide world, drag. I hope it goes without saying that anyone can do drag. That's the point, and that's where the joy lies. It's punk, it's freedom, it's self-expression, but there's no rules. You just do you. And it's escapism, but it's also the truth. Some of the strongest feminists I know are drag queens. I think I learned everything I know about equality and intersectionality from my queer community. And I am prouder than proud that this talk closes our month of digital festival, been mad, themed power in protest. But we did it and we know that drag is a protest. So I can't wait for the queens to get into this tonight. As well as being artistic director of Power Planet, I'm also on team Margate Pride. Shout out to all the UK seaside towns with exciting emerging queer scenes and prides popping up all along our coastline. And some of you may know I co-founded a club collective called Sink the Pink, which began as a silly dressing up party in 2008 and has turned into a massive lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer plus celebration and institution. And it's also still a silly dressing up party. <laughs> Big love to all our Pink family. And the best things happen when we don't get stuck in boxes, when we question what society is telling us is normal. Something in me has always questioned the system. Why do women have to behave and dress in a certain way? Why do we feel we need to appease or please men? Why was I treated differently in the workplace than my male colleagues? Why did a famous radio presenter feel it was appropriate to ask his guest to rate my attractiveness out of 10 live on air? Oh babes, the stories I could tell. So when I found the drag community, I found my home, my people, my life. Other creative beings questioning the gender norms, their place in it, and how the hell we can shake it up and move forwards from the system of oppression, the patriarchy, that governs our society. And also being the funnest, most gorgeous creatures I've ever had the pleasure to meet. It gives me pure joy and pride to welcome my Sink the Pink sister and queen, Dina Lux, who will be chairing tonight's conversation about drag and feminism. A moment to honor the fact that she actually has a PhD in lip syncing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let her introduce the panel. I can already see that there's loads of you in the room for this one, because this panel is huge. This is a conversation that people are clearly very interested to hear more about. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, and all those wonderful ones in between, I give you Dina Lux. Thank you, Amy. You're my one woman band. I love it. Um, thank you, everyone. It is such a joy to be with you all this evening to be leading this discussion of drag and feminism for the Power of Women Festival. Uh, as Amy says, my name is Dina Lux, and in drag, my pronouns are she and her. And tonight, I'll be leading us to a discussion with three fantastic queens. Uh, as Amy says, by way of introduction, uh, I am Dr. Dina Lux, and I am a lecturer in music at the Queen's College, fittingly, uh, University of Oxford. Uh, and my PhD was in drag lip sync performance. So I'm very excited to discuss all things drag and feminism with these queens tonight. This seems like a fitting way to close the Power Women Festival. Um, with its theme of power in protest, as drag has always been an act of protest and one that is deeply political. Early 1950s, drag queens by law had to remove their wigs at the end of their routines to prove they weren't deceiving anyone. To the likes of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who led the resistance at the Stonewall Inn, through to the feminist mantra that the personal is the political, drag has always been at the forefront of culture. And this is true now more than ever, with drag having its real moment in the limelight, a global cultural commodity like it's never been before. And tonight we are joined by three queens who are leading this drag revolution, stars of their own communities and also of the big screen and spreading their queer joy through drag everywhere. At the end of the talk as well tonight, we'd like to hear from you. So if you have any questions, do feel free to pop them in the chat and then we'll try to get to as many as we can in the evening. Uh, at the end. 
Before we get into introducing the queens, um, I'd just like to say briefly that one queen, Asino, unfortunately won't be able to join us tonight as really quite tragically her mother passed away last uh, week. As we think tonight of all the powerful women who have inspired us, I'd like us to keep Astina and Dawn in our thoughts and dedicate this talk to her. And we send all of our love to our sister, Astina, and we hope she's doing well. So tonight we are joined over by some of Astina's closest queer siblings. We have the mesmeric Titi Bang, star of Channel 4's Drag SOS. We have Bimini Bond Boulash, who's released the beast and taken the internet by storm since her time on RuPaul's Drag Race. And we have the absolutely iconic Ginny Lemon, who enchanted the nation's heart to fancy a slice. <laughs> so I thought we could kick off tonight by introducing ourselves and maybe you could say what your pronouns are, who you are, and I thought a good way to get in would be to just say uh, who are the women who have inspired you to do drag and who continue to inspire you to, to do drag. Um, so Ginny, how about we start with you? Oh no, I hate going first. Oh <laughs> no. Well, I am perhaps I'm Ginny Lemmer, Pudsy a Slice, that's it. I'm done, dusted, gone, done. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I'm very pronoun positive, so whenever the discussion is happening, I'm happy for people to any use use any pronouns, but for your own comfortable needs and musts, I would say that in drag, they or she. Mm. And who would you say is one of the women who's inspired you to do drag? Or continue oh. to do drag? Oh, just the one. Any of them? No, any any huge amount, any plethora of women. Oh, well, at the moment, you know what? There is always like a, a holy trinity running through my head, which is Tori Amos, Kate Bush and Bjork. Um, but at the moment, I'm absolutely obsessed with a painter called, uh, an artist called Maggie Hambling. So um, I can discuss those until the, until the you know, the, the dawn ends. <laughs> yeah, she's iconic. She's always with a cigarette in her hand, isn't she? Oh, I and mean, Absolutely. <laughs> with the grimace and the cigarette, is that's what all you need. And a fantastic um, artist, just a fantastic human, really. And, and the works are just absolutely incredible and what they've stood for with throughout their career. Mm. It's just truly, truly incredible. And to constantly be smoking and gurning for the camera is just a way to make yourself iconic, isn't it? I mean, it's perfect. It's heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And now your, your season two sister, Bimini, can introduce yourself. All right, babes. It is I'm Bimini Bomboulash, and I, my pronouns when I'm kind of out of drag, I go by they, and then <clears throat> they them, and then in drag, it's mainly they she. But I, I'm kind of per- pronoun positive as well, just like our Ginny. So uh, whatever you want to call me, basically. Um, and people that inspire me, women that inspire me, I'm inspired by a vast range of women, and I always, I always find inspiration from women that society kind of would deem as maybe kind of lowbrow like people like Pamela Anderson or Katie Price that were kind of like top of their games only in their femininity but then they were trashed in the media and it's they viewed a certain way but actually they're not that viewed it's kind of they've got this act about them which I find is so inspiring like Pamela Anderson was the biggest sex symbol in the 90s and people view a certain her in a certain way but actually she fights so much for social issues and does so many different amazing causes and I think that's so admirable so I'm always inspired by kind of I feel like women that don't that the media try to bring down which yeah. is always women it's never men it's always women so true. What was it like to get to embody one of those people on um, on Drag Race? What's it like to be like, to put Katie Price truly in, back in the cultural hemisphere? Quite. I loved it that because I mean, and Katie loved it as well. And I knew that she would. She's got a sense of humour. Yeah. I've grown up with her in like the limelight, so I always knew that she could laugh at herself. And I think. I, it was it was from a place of love. Like there was no. It wasn't from a place. I wasn't being nasty. I was. It was just kind of. A homage to her because I love her. Oh, it was perfect! It was brilliant. I can't stop all the eyes, the nipples, of the face is seared. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Titi Bang, would you like to introduce yourself for us? I'm Titi Bang, showgirl extraordinaire, um, activist, drag queen, professional show off. I'll do anything if you pay me to do it. Um, I am. Uh, my pronouns are she, they. I, I'm very pronoun positive as well. I actually get quite complimented when people refer to me as he as well, because I think the illusion is working. Um, <laughs> so, call me whatever you want, as long as you're calling me. Exactly. <laughs> my 
icons, you know, it's really interesting when you're growing up as somebody in a femme body. Mm. It can be quite difficult sometimes to see really positive female icons because a lot of the time you feel like you're put in competition with other women. And so for me growing up, I loved really non-human people like Miss Piggy. <laughs> I would say Mr. Blobby is probably one of my gender inspirations. Like I love clowns. I love people that break the boundaries and in, in sort of how women are meant to act. And um, my mum is my biggest drag inspiration. She was a, a stripper and a sex worker growing up and she really taught me um that femininity is not real. You know, she didn't she was like a hippie mum through the day and then at nighttime she put on a fur coat and a gold lipstick and she sold her sexuality as a commodity and so that has that's always been the biggest inspiration to me that's amazing and also because also on your instagram you're doing this you're sort of rewriting history as a history aren't you and this is incredible yeah. everyone should go straight to teachers instagram and look at it it's incredible and you've been how many have you done now you've, you've been you've been I've done like 15 or something i you know what i could do more but i've got other things to do as well so <laughs> 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 and in this space, you're, you're, you're embodying these women, aren't you? You're taking famous women from history, perhaps underrepresented women. Yeah, like famous queer women. Do you know what? I'm going to tell you the tea, and I don't want anyone to get offended. But I was inspired by the queer history element of the Drag Race season, right? When everybody did that, oh, you're queer historian characters. And I was like, yeah. where the fuck are all the queer women? where like so every single one was like I'm like boy George is great but he's also transphobic hello where are there's so many other people we can embody that are queer femmes who are not acclaimed you know we just don't talk about the queer women in history enough I feel like and maybe that's because mainly cisgendered gay men are writing the queer history books and so they're not maybe seeing those queer women but like it got me really riled up and I was like well if no one else is going to do it then I'm going to do it <laughs> so I just did it <laughs> there's nothing else to do <laughs> who was your favorite one to learn about um oh my goodness there was so many Marlo Moss I found really interesting I found it really interesting how many lesbians pioneered the art movement and sort of like modernist art, like really pioneered modernist modernist art. And there was this whole community of queer women making this art in the early 1900s. And I just like had never heard about that. And they were all exploring their gender. And a lot of them, yeah, came from wealth. And so they had this privilege of being able to explore their gender. But I just found it really interesting because I had no idea. <laughs> That's so great. It's such a good series. It's really is incredible. It's and the transformations are so good. Um you mentioned also what it's like growing up as the femme to look at women who inspire you and 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 how that relates. Well, how have you experienced being a femme a femme in the drag community? Has there been tension there, release there, welcoming uh, You know what? Mainly, mainly it has been so supportive and so encouraging especially from the community itself yeah um the only problems i really encounter is from the wider audience from like the you know people who sit outside and they observe drag and they like to comment because they've been told they're allowed to comment on it now so they're going to comment on it whether you like it or not those people are the ones that say things online and and maybe like a few old more old school queens have made comments but do you know what I don't care so (laughs) I try not to really like take it on too much it's the the only way to be I could see me and Ginny both smiling as you're talking about people with opinions <laughs> so I can see <laughs> both of them <laughs> clearly has me since that I am, but both of you had the most exceptional moment on the show I thought together that one that you must get asked about constantly but if we're talking about drag and feminism feminism now is such an expansive term to to talk about queerness and queer theory in general and all that kind of stuff and on the show you two had a real real bonding heart to heart about about being non-binary and I wondered if you could talk about that maybe even just to explain what non-binary means to anyone who might not know I I actually think this might be the first time we've had this conversation together Jenny Really? I, do you know what? I think it is. As well. <laughs> like, we're in the, the first time we've been together to have it. I think I've been asked about this loads of times, but Ginny's yeah. not been there. So this is this is lovely, yeah. It's great. Oh, wonderful. Amazing. So, yeah, so what, what was that moment like? Or, 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 or how has that been since then? 
for me. I mean, I feel like I've, got, I've said this because obviously I've, we, I've been asked about this a lot, and it is interesting, Bim, that this is the first time we, we've had the conversation because yeah. you know we we were. I always describe it as we were just humans talking to another human at the same time. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was, and for me, very much in particular, I went there to do to do a job. You know, I was there to 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 be on Drag Race, to be entertaining, to be fun. So when you're faced with um, sort of real life things um, and having that discussion with women, I didn't realize watching it back how impactful that that it was you know because yeah. I, I went on stage on the main stage to be impactful but when I was in the workroom I was very much just kind of just doing your bits you know it was a very yeah. um it was an amazing moment but it was you kind of you don't think about it until until after seeing it and then seeing it seeing it so raw I mean for myself seeing myself crying and stuff like that was very hard like yeah. very difficult beyond what we're talking about I'm talking about this is just hard watching me sob so once I was able to put that aside and think about what it is that we've spoken about yeah. and how important that is for other people, that kind of, that makes it all worth it. You know, it makes all of yeah. that, that, that seeing that and feeling that way, it makes it all worth it to see how people have responded to that. I think as well, like what was so real about that moment was how authentic it was. And in reality TV, that can be quite difficult to get those moments on camera because like producers are like running over because they're like something's happening, but you, we can't just stop. Do you know what I mean? Like we're in this conversation and it's like, it happened from start to finish how it happened. And there was no like stopping and starting, which can often happen in, in TV. And I think watching it back, it was such a, like, I was like welling up. Like, I wasn't in, like in the moment. Cause we were so in the moment. It was like, so, I was like embracing Ginny for everything, all the amazingness that they are. But it was like watching it back. It was just like, Oh my God, it was so real. Cause also it was like 10 months ago from when we watched it. So it'd been such a long period of time. And also we're in a competitive mindset as well. So we're trying to make a bloody garment. Me, yeah. me, like me, as you can tell me and Ginny weren't the best seamstresses there. So we were like <laughs> trying to make it work. And then like, you've just got, to, you just, you go into that mindset where you've just got to go, go, go. So I didn't even have time to kind of debrief it or like think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't even think that yet. Yeah, so high strung. And so I just say, so high stress situation to then also be having this huge heart to heart. in. Yeah. <laughs> for, for everyone uh, watching, could you, could one of you explain what, what it means to be non-binary or how you perceive what non-binary means? Um, no. Well, absolutely. I mean, I I always use a very simple term, and then I'm sure Bimini's, you know, Bimini's got a, a much more or better way of explaining things. Uh, but I always say that gender for me is like is like a circle. You know, it's kind of, and it's you know, one day it's male or female, and then for me it's like this big circle, and it kind of can go anywhere in between. You know, it doesn't it doesn't describe anything. I've always identified as as queer. I think um, when when the words when we started to have that language and formulate that conversation mm. i was a little wary of the of the terminology non-binary i thought well, what what does it mean yeah. um so for me a, a queer has always been very kind of coating yeah. in the fact that it can just be one thing or another yeah. um but as I said, Bimini is much better explaining these things than I am. <laughs> that's how well, I felt. Well, I think as well, it's it's that's the thing with someone that kind of identifies. I feel see it as a bit of an umbrella term for kind of however you want to identify under that. And it it to me it means kind of rejecting the ideals of what were kind of what I was taught. It's like unlearning those behaviors of gender, and it's like actually no, I was tried I was forced in one direction and that just didn't work out for me and I'm I relate so much more to this side so I kind of float between the middle and it's like it's a difficult one to kind of put your finger on because I think a lot of people can identify as maybe kind of gender queer or gender fluid or gender non-conforming there's all these different terms for it and I feel like binary is kind of like the umbrella of that so yeah. I feel like that's the, the higher up and however you want to identify under that is is valid to you yeah yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a it's a brilliantly sort of expansive term in that way. I think it's very expansive. And I think it's not even it's it's not that new. I think the, the prominence of the word has become new. It's become a lot more filtered into hearing it a lot more. But it was actually coined in 95. I think it was quite it was like first first said then. Yeah. And then I think it's like since 2016, it started getting like a lot more prominence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really. Yeah, it's very, very much in the sort of like 
cultural vocabulary right now in a way that yeah. it wasn't but the, the, the issue as well i think that that worked with mine and Ginny's conversation is because piers morgan wasn't sat there so i think that <laughs> that has something to do with it because it was two people interacting and talking about how they feel without someone debating it and saying you're wrong you don't exactly. feel that way yeah, the, the, the sort of the, the the pretense wasn't justifying how you feel. It was just it was that that that, that Piers Morgan stuff gets to disappear. Oh my God, I hope <laughs> now disappeared forever. <laughs> so we can look forward to that. But I um, did you? Uh, so have you found that drag was a way of exploring that, or was that something that was there before? Or has drag really been a sort of instrument to explore? I think I I grew up reading a lot of fashion magazines and seeing this world of kind of models that were were glorified for having an androgynous look. But for yeah. me, that was not something that I could just walk down the road and look overtly feminine because I'd get stuff shouted at me or people mm-hmm. would say stuff. And it was always something that I felt felt like as the average person to identify as that was very difficult and especially in my hometown it was like you you kind of just can't be outwardly like that so when I moved to London I it was like like mind-blowing very early on I moved went out in East London and I was like wow <laughs> like, this is incredible and I realized quite early on that like a lot of the places I was going like gender didn't really matter like it wasn't an issue like you could wear you could be who you want you could dress how you want and there wasn't as much conversation around it. I think people are being a lot more free with their expression. And I mean, it's not a new thing. Again, like it's been it's been around for years. People have always done it. But again, it, it comes down to that like average person doing it compared to a pop star like Boy George as an example in the 80s. Yeah. And people like that, like Prince and Bowie and Madonna who have who've always played with kind of gender mm. roles. Yeah, entirely. Yeah, and drag is, it, it does make you into that superstar. So you essentially, you get elevated up to it. Um, and that was something that I thought was so sort of poignant and touching about your show, TT, about this power of drag to to unlock sort of completely, confidence is unknown even to the person, but then just one sort of push in a pair of heels got it to come out of them entirely. Um, what was it like working about meeting all these people and, and, and using the power that you knew drag had to sort of inspire people? Like, in all honesty, we did not realise what we were getting ourselves into. Like, <laughs> I think as drag queens at work in nightclubs, like, we really take it for granted. Like, we forget very quickly how transformative and emotional it can be and how therapeutic it is like you forget very quickly all those really vulnerable moments of drag and those things you learn about yourself and you just start being like oh everyone does this you know this is completely fine and completely normal but it wasn't until like we put someone in drag who'd never ever experienced anything like it or even thought about it that we were reminded very quickly of how emotional it can be for people and that's like that's that was amazing and how transformative and insightful it can be for people to just take a step back from who they are and become somebody else and observe themselves from a different point of view to be honest exactly it's that sort of weird irony that drag is like a holiday from yourself but also is the thing that really makes you feel like yourself <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's these two completely <laughs> different poles that come together um, and it was amazing on the show it really seemed like uh, you know that sort of like mirror moment they see each other and then and something happens was it like that in real life did it was it sort of an instantaneous reaction absolutely you know some people are really insecure and there's things that go on you know behind the scenes that we were dealing with real people like real real human beings like the average person and so a lot of those people have more complexities to them than what you would see on screen of course but I don't know if you both were told this like when you were saying about when you had your conversation and stopping and starting we learned very quickly in the show that we don't talk about the contributors off camera because like after the first day, the first person met and you know, I met this amazing woman called Fleur and and um she opened up to me about how she viewed her body and I was not ready for somebody to be so real because I thought like we're gonna be on a TV show, we're gonna dress up, it's gonna be glamour. <laughs> like it was a very like, whoa, this is a real life moment. And and we'd sit in the minibus and be like, oh my gosh, like what do we think about this? How does this make you feel? And then we'd get in front of the cameras again and we had nothing to say because we'd already had those conversations. So we did learn to like stop talking to each other <laughs> when the cameras weren't on. 
<laughs> which is really sad. But it meant that when we did have these conversations, it was real. Yeah. And it was from a place of like honesty. And you'd had you'd also had a moment to think about what you were gonna say. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm a nervous talker, so I will say everything that comes to my head. And then sometimes afterwards you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that on Twitter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, no regrets. <laughs> but, you know, I was really blessed that all the people we met were so open to the experience as well. And I think that was really encouraging for other people to see and to be like okay it's okay to just want to explore different parts of yourself and I think it was really powerful that we were able to show people exploring themselves you know even that because so many people go through their life never exploring who they are or even thinking about exploring who they are they're happy to just live this character of of who they've been told they need to be. Exactly, exactly. And I think that is one of the most incredible things that's happening from this sort of drag revolution that's happening now and sort of sweeping truly every inch of the globe with, with some sort of franchise. Um, <laughs> and obviously, I don't know if you, if you, I remember when I was growing up, I think the only drag I saw was I had like a VHS of Priscilla and, and a Rocky Horror. And that was it. And they'd get watched like back to back every day for like three years in my like Essex town with like grey behind me and like VHS in. Um, what, now that drag I suppose is becoming so much, just so everywhere, have you found that people are much more open to it? Like ev- across the board for all of you. I mean, like we're talking about how you can't walk down the street and dress as something else without getting shouted at. And you're saying about how TT about people are, people are, uh, these random people getting into drag for the first time, which I don't think would have happened like 10 years ago, maybe, on, on national television. Um, so are you finding that so everyone is just really open to the idea now? I wouldn't say everyone. <laughs> I wouldn't say everyone's open. No, no. I'm sure there's still some people that are getting their feathers ruffled by this drag revolution. But I do, I like, I don't know. I think we're in a weird time politically that's having an effect on everyone. And I would even go as far to say that when I first moved to London, maybe I was younger and naive, but I felt safer going yeah. out dressed up a bit crazy and wearing massive shoes than I do now going out and doing the same thing. Like, I do feel like there has been a bit of a shift. And I don't know whether that is because there's more conversation around it and more people are annoyed about it, or maybe because there's more visibility for it. So actually, it's less... People are not as intimidated by it as much anymore. So they'll have more to say. I don't know, it's a weird one, but maybe it's just because I've got a bit older. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's sort of like like the, uh, yeah, the the sort of courage of youth has dissipated something. But I think you're right. there is an element of that, which I suppose gets us onto a sort of different. We've spoken a lot about the benefits of the drag and the positives of drag, my drag makes us feel, and and in a sort of if the drag and feminism talk, in a feminist sense, drag has been used as sort of the nape culture of feminism. In like J- Judith Butler, sort of the big, you know, the, everyone has to name check Judith Butler. She and her, um, who actually now also defines as non-binary. What we're saying, well, ten years ago they didn't know that word, but now they say they are. Um, but also in their book. Um, Gen trouble. They say that uh, drag is the like the paradigm of gender. It it proves that gender is a performance, and then they use drag as this this brilliant example of it. And then I think also you get lots of detractors who see drag as in some way uh, misogynistic or dangerous or perverse or something other than that. And I think especially as you were saying, Bimini, especially now in this kind of very in in many ways nice social environment we have and also in many ways like very scary social environment that's like brewing especially in England I think um and I wondered if any of you had any opinions on 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 pe- the people who don't like drag and find it to be civil problematic and the ways in which you think drag maybe has a responsibility to skirt around them or the way drag isn't that or well I feel <clears throat> when I first um I feel drag to me through going back slightly to what you said, you know, I grew up watching Lily Savage and I was very empowered by that sort of drag and that sort of working class drag. And then I'd also be inspired growing up in the nineties by, you know, certain women. So I was always, it was, it wasn't until I got into drag, I realized how misogynistic the drag world was. Yeah. It was, you know, it, because it was, you know, those who were blessed with a vagina from birth who, 
who kind of segued me into drag. So it was my friends, um, Lacey Lewitt, a drag queen in Birmingham, who were my gateway. And I started doing drag with, with women. Um, so it wasn't until I started to integrate into that world and started to work in that world. And because of my, uh, because of my act and the, the way I dressed, you know, I was very much put in with this sort of old school style of queens. So yeah. often I'd be in these old school lineups backstage and listening to all these absolutely horrendous things being said and you know just disgusting um really misogynistic and really quite disturbing things on stage and people would be laughing and and for me I I was I got very upset and very kind of anti-drag and I still feel I'm slightly anti-drag now because of you know how through recent years through whatever that drag has now been filtered down to the idea of a um, a white gay man dressing up and being successful. And that yeah. for me was never my idea of drag from the very beginning. It was always a plethora of people doing it. So even from within the ranks, I feel um, a deep sense of uh, rooted misogyny within the community. And I, and I think it's, you know, I think it's abhorrent. And that's why I've never set out to look in any way um, in a, in a person for my personal drag, I've never set out to look um, gender defined. You know, I never wanted to look like uh, you know a big booby booby woman with curvy hips because I felt uncomfortable yeah. um, with how some of that message could come across in some of the work that I was doing. Mm. Um, for me, I think it is. It's a very. It's something that we need to talk about because why? Why is it that it is? predominantly you know those those cursed with a penis are um are doing drag because to me that that isn't drag and this is why it upsets me so much that some of the mainstream representation of drag hasn't been fully representative of what actually drag is yeah totally totally and just um i suppose just for everyone watching how would you define drag I and mean, i totally agree with you but just do you have a definition of drag do you think well, it's ever. I'm. I'm not anyone to. I have a self-defined definition of drag, but I'm not here to define drag for anyone else. For me, it's it's the essence of um, finding yourself within with you know by losing yourself. So becoming somebody else and masquerading as somebody else, you can learn stuff about yourself. So that's what it is for me. So that shouldn't, and you know, and essentially dressing up and having fun. I mean, it should be fun, right? Yeah. And everyone likes to dress up and it should be for everyone. It should, the dress-up box should be everyone. Why is it, you know, it's yeah. about being yourself. And I don't know how the, the, the psychology works on, you know, finding yourself through being somebody else, but... Yeah. It's a classic Lacanian mirror identification. I think it's perfect. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's what it is. I knew it. <laughs> You've got it. No, I think that's beautiful. I think it's so true. Finding yourself and losing yourself. It's such a beautiful way of putting it. I think I think that's something that we, we probably all feel, even just putting on the drag and also especially in performance, surely that's losing yourself and surely that's finding yourself at the same time. It's that that incredible trance like state. Um Bimini or TTN, do you have any opinions on... <laughs> I've got tons, babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot that needs to be talked about within the queer community itself about misogyny, inherent misogyny that goes completely unrecognised. And unfortunately, we do see it all the time in drag. And it's it's really frustrating because when, you know, I'm having conversations with people like gender critics or maybe people that are terse um and they're bringing up points that are actually like sometimes valid you know yeah yes they do talk about women's bodies in a specific way and yes certain drag does idealize a specific form of femininity that yeah. is toxic within our society and, and is completely playing into them and that is a valid conversation that we need to be having and I do feel like the is thing of is it because a lot of cis gay men are the ones that are writing the history books or producing the movies about drag, producing the TV shows about drag, making the books about drag, you know, all of these things, even like the things like YouTubers, like YouTubers that talk about drag, they're predominantly cis male gays. And is that why we're not talking about the, the AFAB people or the trans people that do, do drag as well and have been there in the roots of the history of drag? Because I do feel like that is why they're not, being talked about and not being platformed and it is a sort of 
it's a swings and roundabouts thing. It's like, okay, if you want to, you know, have a valid conversation with somebody that is opposed to drag, then you also need to take into consideration that maybe some of the jokes you're telling are not appropriate or some of the ways that you talk about femininity is not appropriate. And yeah, I mean, that's somebody else's responsibility to do because <laughs> I'm not a cis gay man. <laughs> It would be nice if you'd all start chatting about it. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I mean, there is, as, as both of you have said there, there's a deep responsibility for everyone to pay respect, as you say, to the people who were there at the beginning. Oh, oh very, very much A to everyone all the time, just by fact of being a nice person. As you say, this 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 nonsensical gatekeeping of drag just seems so antithetical. If you ask me. like any, you know, young gay man in a club who their icons are, it's Madonna, it's Ariana Grande, it's Lady Gaga, it's women. It's women who dress up and play a character and present a product to you. The same as drag queens. Because you do do a lot of, the, the, uh, like, to, as you say, very nice way to use conversations with turfs. I, I imagine you're conversing there, probably. <laughs> They're probably doing something else. But, but what, what is that like? How, how do you... How do you do that? How do you have the patience to do that, I suppose? Is it... Do you know what? Oh my God, it's too long, babe. I had a really traumatic <laughs> experience at the beginning of lockdown, um, which was... Yeah, anyway, I was living in a warehouse with lots of people, as women used to know, a nice, creative, hippy-dippy warehouse. It was all great, and then lockdown happened. And some people cope very well with being by themselves, like me. I have lots of hobbies. <laughs> like being alone <laughs> some people don't and so I um maybe was talking about JK Rowling in the kitchen <laughs> and then somebody confronted me about it and it became very quickly that they you know were very well educated and were going to use their education against me a working class person who didn't have the privilege of going to university um yeah to sort of undermine my lived experience around gender and trans people. Um, and they, this went on for six months <laughs> in lockdown. And then I found out that this person had been writing a blog about conversations that we had been having about gender um, um, and publishing them under an alias. <laughs> and actually some of them were really personal. Some of them were about the relationship the intimate relationships I had had with trans people that span decades yeah. and they were being undermined by by some by you know a paper that they had read written yeah. by another cisgendered middle-class yeah. white woman and they were completely disregarding regarding my my lived experience with trans people over this academia yeah. and um yeah I mean I I dealt with it in my own way. Some of it was bad at first and I realised it's actually not my problem and I moved out. <laughs> um, but I do think that it is good to have conversation. Like I did try and have conversation with that person and ultimately it did bite me in the ass because she did write about me. But I yeah. felt like I was not going to be the angry queer person that she wanted me to be. I was not going to shout at her. I was not going to raise my voice. I was not going to intimidate her or make her feel uncomfortable. I was very, very accommodating to that conversation. And that went as far as I could let it get. Um, and then I stepped away. And I feel like you have to give people opportunities to talk. Otherwise, there will never be any resolution to anything. And I think that just goes with anything, doesn't it, really? And you know when you're being a good person and when you're giving people a chance. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think we do need to have conversations. It's really important, but maybe both parties need to understand what's going on. You're a saint. And it's just so true. And we need to have conversations within <laughs> our community. And I think that is something that's coming up more and more now, that they're sort of inward looking and that the work has to start at home as well as out out there to make sure everything happens. I am, um, and Bimini, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the sort of, the fact that yours and Ginny's chat was so lovely because people appear and sort of reference the sort of toxic, toxic media at the moment. Um, Chad, do you think drag is anything to do with that? Do you think drag is able to help with that? Do you, how do you find this, this current climate that, that we're in now? Well, similar to what Ginny said earlier, it's like about, about Lacey being someone that they come up with. I came up on the drag circuit in East London with people like TT and Georgie B, like stood there, like waving the flag. And they were just people that I thought were incredible. And it, it was never like 
like it was never an issue. So having those conversations where there are female AFAB queens excluded, or I don't, it's, I don't even know if that's a term a lot of people would like to use AFAB, but that the people that are excluded from doing drag is drag is ultimately for everyone. And it should be a way to parody and project about what is happening on the outside of society. And that's what I've always seen it as something that it does. And it's a weird one because I think it's great we have these conversations and we do need to have these conversations and having it within our own community. I think it only is a good thing that we're going to keep progressing, hopefully. And these conversations need to spark change. Like there's things that we have changed a lot over 10 years that you would hear in conversations that you would not hear now. I feel like that's Lexus is changing. Conversations are changing. Society to a certain degree is moving forwards in terms of kind of progression with that. But I do think it's important that we don't exclude people at the conversation at the table, especially people that we are inspired by. And that's why I feel like someone that does, and what TT did say about if you say to a cis man, who's your, who are your idols? And they say Madonna, but then if, if, if anyone ever does turn around and say that females can't do drag, like that's just, to me, it's just completely, it just mind boggling. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think, I don't know, I think shows like Drag Race have a priority where they can have these conversations at a mainstream level. And I think it is happening. I think things are moving forwards with Drag Race. So I'm hoping that it, yeah, I'm hoping that they are allowed or that there's these conversations are able to have. Because like mine and Ginny's conversation on a mainstream show where a lot of people were able to understand and digest what it means to be non-binary, they have that ability to do that wider and allow everyone at this table kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that Bimini and I should really start our own show. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just, just for, like, people that, that, that aren't cis males, everybody else, we should do that, don't you think? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, uh, this is it. I think, like, yeah, we're at a, we're at a time when... We sh- there should be no exclusion of anyone. Like anyone that wants to be part of something should be allowed. And I feel like as queer people to even try and even put your foot in front of that to say, no, you can't. After the history of exclusion that we've had, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Exactly. It's, it's, it's madness. Madness to me. I am. Um, and I think that's so interesting what you're saying as well about how, as you say, like in on Drag Race, that was able to be, parceled up and put out to so many people and to be understood really quite, seemingly really quite effectively by a huge amount of people. I don't know, obviously, what the repercussions have been like for both of you, but online it seems like there's been a huge amount of positive repercussion to that chat. Have there been for you two individually, do you think, people messaging you? Oh, I mean, for me, I think the best thing that's that's happened out of this is that my dad wanted to get me a... Um, a, I think it was a uh, a birthday card for my birthday this year. And my dad had bought me a card. And so he's in his 70s, very working class, very like, you know, comes from farming stock and it's in a, a certain way, a man's man, if you will. And um, for about two weeks, they were thinking about this card. And it's because it said to my son. And for two weeks, it made him think, you know, and eventually got one, you know, saying a genderless card, basically. And I thought the impact, if it can affect somebody like my dad, a working class man in his in his 70s, who, yeah. you know, has been, been to France once and that was the highlight of his sort of, you know, <laughs> cultural venture. If it can affect somebody like that. And I mean, I don't know about you, Bim, but my inbox is full. I still haven't got around to them. It 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 pains me. It really does. I'm not saying this, but like I'm I'm the sort of queen that would... If you message me, I'd reply, you know, yeah. so to have all of yeah. these thousands of messages and unable to reply. I think, what can I do to mm. reply to them? And it's by doing things like this, having conversations yeah. with this, to, to be out there and to be visible and to say that it is OK. I can't reply to your message, but let's keep talking. Let, let's keep doing this. Yeah, that's amazing. And those little things like something as as to some people seemingly inconsequential as a birthday card, I imagine that receiving something like that would be incredibly affirming to so many people. If some parent has watched that and that happens to another child, that in itself is such an incredible repercussion to happen from 
a minute and a half on a TV show. Like how mm-hmm. how exceptional! But that's surely the best thing that can happen from TV. There was no cash though, no cash. <laughs> <laughs> a badge for a few people. <laughs> <laughs> I, it reminds me actually of something the great Sue Gives a Fuck says the, the drag is meant to parcel up pop culture and give it back to people in a, in a nice way to show what's happening and then to say what's really happening uh, through a sort of like humorous ironic parody kind of way okay. uh, that's what it's what drag does um, and so my final question is I'm so intrigued what you think the future of drag is drag is on a meteoric rise now what do you think the next step in drag is if you have one or then maybe just the next step in your drag if you don't want to speak about drag in total but what what's what do you think is coming up the bubble's gonna burst (laughs) 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 we're all gonna be unemployed in the year (laughs) the pandemic tried to do that I, I think hope that it is going to transcend what it is now. Um, you know, we know, I guess, that Drag Race is accepting things are moving on. Whether it's good enough, I don't know. <laughs> is it too little too late? Is it tokenism? We'll see. <laughs> because, you know... In an ideal world, it would be a show that includes everyone and then everybody would have a seat at the table and then we all have a lovely time. To me, personally, honestly, I don't really feel like it's like that yet. Like, I think having one AFAB person on the show is tokenism and I think it it is still, like, not open to everyone. Like, I don't think it's fair yet. I think we've got maybe another five years (laughs) until Drag Kings are finally allowed on. And then I do think... I. I think that like, I think that a lot of us feel like it's too little too late. I think a lot of people do. And like, do I want to give my drag career that I've worked 10 years for over to someone else to take glory for after I've sacrificed everything? Like, I don't even know if I want to now. And I know a lot of other people like me feel exactly the same. Um, No, I just want to say like, it's a difficult one, but I would love for the future of drag not just to be defined through drag race. Yes, I'd like yes, I, more... want. I want something else. I want, I like, want something to... else. That's <laughs> what I want. I want something <laughs> else which has a full different representation. I don't just want them to be one program. I want or... us to have a morning show. Can we yeah, have like where... a morning variety show? <laughs> Where's season two of Drag SOS? Like what happened to that? Where are the producers out there oh, that make this television? Yeah, exactly. Know that there's money in it. <laughs> know that people want drag. They're desperate yeah. for it. We're on all the adverts. Well, you know, if you're lucky for the work. We're everywhere. So why people on TV can't continue to do that when yeah. it's not just Drag Race? Like, it would be that great. That's a really nice question, and I would love to be answered. Yeah. I do feel like, you know, there's um, there is a... There is a monopoly on drag that is owned by a company at the moment and other companies are not willing to take risks because that monopoly is so huge. And like, that's what we felt with Drag SOS is, well, we're never going to be able to compete with Drag Race. So why bother? Because that's how TV and media works. And maybe it's up to queer people to like start our own production companies. But a lot of us don't have like, that's one of the things that gets said to me all the time is like, oh, make your own show. It's like, I'm sorry, I can barely pay my rent. (laughs) I don't have parents that can fund me to start my own TV show. Like, it's not that easy. But, you know, I feel like society and the government has to, or somebody has to support queer artists more and that has to be more recognition and, and see their value in other ways as well that isn't just drag you know it's conversations it's lectures it's media it's writing books like Bimini's doing you know I think we've got more to give than just parading up and down a catwalk for someone else (laughs) exactly (laughs) um well I hope I hope all that does manage to happen very soon because that would be such an incredible world to be in um, we have loads of questions from the audience, which is incredible. And we have, have about 10 minutes left. So we hopefully can get a few. Some of these we have answered um, quite effectively, I think, already. Mm-hmm. But a few at the beginning. This is from Deborah, um, who asks, what are your views on the recent news regarding Pride London and the resignation of their board? Um, has anyone been keeping up to uh, abreast of this? Or any opinions on Pride in general? 
I'm just laughing because I actually have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even keep up with Pride because they never book anyone, so why bother? <laughs> yes, so what, what are your opinions on Pride? Because at Pride, I suppose, in recent years, there's been a lot surrounding Pride about lack of representation, uh, police um, use of Pride, sort of corporate sellout of Pride, and how Pride essentially isn't for people within the community that much anymore. Um, is that something that you that you've experienced or, or i think they just need to invest all that money they invest into pride all year round into quiz exactly. <laughs> don't just make it one day a year extend that for the 364 days of the year where you don't pay queer people exactly 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 like all of these corporate brands will jump onto pride and yeah it's great but it, again it's tokenism to what tt is yeah. saying it's literally you're just doing it because if you don't do it you look like an asshole yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was on a I was on a, 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 a parade one year and the the track um, which what the float next to me of a big company it was like I'm gay I'm bi I'm trans and underneath it was like I'm a CrossFit I'm a CrossFitter I'm a baker I'm a I'm not LGBTQIAC I forgot about that that iconic one but have all the corporate sponsorship is because Boris well I know in London it's because Boris Johnson cut the funding for Pride right so then Pride had to become like a private company question mark and then that's why there's like capitalism involved in it now but it's, it's a bit old yeah, it's, it's a deeply and as you say it's kind of like a well it's like a double-edged sword it's the day one day of the year as you say is when you work <laughs> it's just you can get three gigs in a day which is this is a very interesting question um uh similarly from deborah who who asks what are your views and experience of young drag queens and drag performances for children um because i guess often I, i've always thought of i don't know why i was watching like Priscilla at seven years old, probably wasn't entirely appropriate. But drag for me has always been slightly up. Uh, drag is now becoming something for all areas of society. It's it's not just a sort of a, a nightclub thing anymore. What, what do you think uh, of these sorts of performances? I think drag can be for everyone, but it doesn't mean everyone's act has to be child friendly at all times. I think it's important that drag has conversations that maybe aren't for children to hear yet. And it's it's things in a nightclub or a show that you you can go to a, a wider audience or a, a more mature audience. Mm. I feel like there's definitely room for drag and entertainment for children, but I don't think it, it should be the fault of every drag queen to then be child friendly. Like there are certain people, it's the same as like, 18 on a movie and a 15 and a 12a like there's age limits for things i think that drag like you're just to get to a child-friendly audience doesn't mean you should censor what your drag is about exactly yeah i agree with yeah. that yeah um, i know i did i did a before drag race and all of that i did a kid show called fantabulosa for about four years uh, three four years and effectively it was a drag queen story time so we went to um towns and cities throughout the uk um you know, usually uh, poorer towns and poorer cities. And we would read and we would get out there about 10 o'clock in the morning and we would read um, stories and kids' stories, LGBTQ plus friendly stories um, to, to anyone that would listen, basically. Um, and like like Bimini said, it was it, people, I got so much feedback from this because obviously people like, you, you know, you shouldn't be near them, you shouldn't be doing this. And I think, well, you know, I, I, all I'm doing with that job is I'm teaching kids to be themselves and I'm just yeah. there to entertain people. And I said, you know, I'm not drinking a glass of wine and swearing in front of this child, which is probably what you do when you get home. Yeah. You know, like, there <laughs> is that level of like, yes, we're drag queens. We're also humans. Yeah. So yeah. yes, we can do both, you know. And the best example I can give from that is I went into a special needs school in Birmingham and I read this story and I encourage all the kids, when I say fabulous, to go fabulous like this. And there was a child there who had never spoken before, had never said a word. And they spoke, they said their first ever word. I could see this big kerfuffle going on. And the teacher came up to me afterwards and they said, listen, this child said fabulous. So that they called the parents that, you know, and for me, I got in the taxi and sobbed for about two hours on, on my own. I just couldn't believe it because that was the impact for me. There was no, I was not teaching them to be gay or to be queer yeah. or to be a drag queen. I was teaching them to be themselves and just by that one little impact that's you know that child spoke so and and their first word was fabulous so i think that can't be a bad thing right yeah. <laughs> that cannot be a bad thing that's, 
incredible. That's incredible. And yeah, it's so true. I mean, my I, my niece, I got her uh, she her favorite book. <laughs> well, I'm told it's her favorite book. Who knows? But I'm I'm, I'm uncle. Favorite book is the heels of the drag queens go clip clop clip or whatever it is. <laughs> it's another drag queen book, and they are just so much fun. <laughs> it yeah. is. It's a colourful sensory experience, I think, for everyone. <laughs> um, uh, and here we have a question, probably our last question before Amy um, pops back in. Um, our last question from Xanthi. Um, how are trans women treated within the drag community and is that changing? Um, I don't know if anyone has any experiences to this um, that they could share. I know that my in to the drag community was through trans women. Um, and they've always been an absolute yeah. sort of inspiration to me. But um, I got into drag in a, a not in London, um, but the, the trans women there were were who really pioneered the way for me. But I don't know if that's an experience that any of you share. It actually breaks my heart um, how uncelebrated trans women are within the mainstream drag society. Um, I, I made a well, it wasn't a joke. It was actually probably it was a joke, just a fact about um, <laughs> about this the other day on Crystal from season one's Instagram Live, and I said there should be like four seasons of Drag Race that's just trans women, just to make up for the lack of trans women that are being given a platform because yeah. you know there's now whatever however many hundreds of cis gay men on there that are now become very rich but actually if we look at where trans women sit within society it's you know quite often they're left to the very bottom of the pile and that's just not good enough anymore because these are the people that pioneered this community and that are the mothers of the community so much of it they're the hearts of it you know and then and I don't like I feel like trans women need to be given something it's like it's not it's not good enough now and I think maybe it's down to those people who have those platforms to to give them a hand and lift them up yeah no totally totally I completely agree I think what uh what a lovely note to end I suppose the the remembrance that we have to drag is inclusive of everyone it's not a gatekeeping event it's something that everyone should be what everyone is open to and the people who are sort of culture makers in that should be inviting everyone to to join in the benefits of, of this incredible world that we've all helped to create in our own ways. Thank you so much, everyone, for for talking to me. It was such a joy to hear from you, and so nice to see you. I can't wait till we can actually see each other in person again, very soon, hopefully. I am, um, but I think Amy might have. Oh, there she is! Stunning, popped straight back up. Thank you, thank you so much. Oh, I'm in awe and I'm really grateful for your time and energy and voices on this. In this space at this time, it feels really perfect. So thank you so much. Thank and you for having me. Thank you, darling. I love you. That child that said fabulous after meeting Ginny had me fabulous. These conversations are so important. And this is just the tip of the iceberg as society is finally catching up and conversations about gender are actually happening in homes around the world, following drag becoming mainstream via programs we've discussed and the incredible work in the clubs, which we all know is a space where minds are expanded. Bring back the clubs. I'm so proud to have had you all talk tonight and be part of POW. I can't thank you enough. Dina Lux, always the most amazing, graceful, glamorous, eloquent host. Thank you so much. I just love you all, TT, Ginny. Oh, thank you. Your beauty, your kindness, your talent, and the dignity and wisdom and honesty that you put into your art and the world. And for the time and energy you gave us tonight, it's an honor to have you here, Pal. And I'm really happy that this talk will live on our YouTube for future viewers to be able to relive this gorgeous conversation. And I love that definition that Ginny said, but should finding yourself and losing yourself. So we should all get a bit of that in our lives because we've had a crazy old year this is just the beginning of power and drag conversations our pride here and our power life drawing class that we've been doing featured our local afab queen shelly grotto and that is worth a rewatch because she did this quick fire vogue round quick shout out to the community here in thanet already doing fantastic visible queer things the house of xanadu screaming alley tom thumb pink suits margate pride the arts club sundeck Queer Neon, Sundowners, Camp Margate, Meet Raffle, the BU Youth Project, Janet District Council's Roller Disco, and we've got East London icon Jackie Potato, who's got her costume house here. So the art and queer scene is strong, and I can't wait to see what's in store in years to come. So we started our feminist festival talking to men, 
we need them in the room for change to happen. And it was fantastic. You can rewatch that on Powell's YouTube. And I hope you can see that across the spectrum of marginalized people, that our trans and drag community have to not only be in the room, but entirely have our love and support. We are strong when we are together and when we listen to each other and when we raise each other up. There's so much beauty and strength in this allyship. It's what my whole life is built upon. And I will stand here in a silly wig for the rest of my life holding hands with my trans and drag family. Because to quote my Angelou, not one of us can be free until everybody is free. So this is a call to arms. Use your voice as we move back into whatever normal is in 2021 and look out for our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer plus family. Call your quiet friends and call your loud friends too. I hope that the off and on switch of society this year has caused mind expansion. And with a new drag race infused generation who hopefully are able to comfortably come out younger and access youth groups like ours here in Margate, that we'll see freedom, tolerance and love at the heart of society. And then we can unite to fight the big stuff, world peace, the climate, the patriarchy. I know this for sure that all of this is possible when we listen and raise each other up, unite and lead with love. I'm emotion. Thanks again to our speakers tonight. I love you all and I'm so proud. And I spoke to Astina earlier, who is very rightly having a self-care day. Your drag family love you very much, girl, and we are here for you. And I can't wait to hug you at Hoopla. I love you all. Thanks from the whole team at Power for joining us for this year's festival. It's been wonderful. And that TV show produced and hosted by you lot needs to happen. TV producers, get in touch. They need their own show. You can find my email address at powerfanet.com. Let's talk. So thank you all. It's Power 2021 signing out. Thanks to Darren and Lindsay and the studio there at Faith and Strangers. The whole team here, you lot are glorious. Thank you and good night. Power of Women Podcast. Oh, women.